Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited because I've got a good buddy of mine that I get to talk to today, and he's kind of become my semi-regular guest, and I'm hoping this keeps to ha- keeps keeps happening in the future. Talking to Brian Silvey. Brian, you doing good, man? I am doing well. How about you, Jared? Doing good. Just loving life, man. Plugging along. And mm. tell you what, that beard looks on point. Can you, you know, you keep growing that thing out. It looks like you may have trimmed it a little bit, um, yeah. but uh, it's still there. Got to keep it. Got to keep a tight, tight trim for the so, lady. Brian Sauvet in 2031, you going to have yeah. a beard? You know, I think I will. I think it'll probably look pretty similar to the beard today. Okay, gotcha. My philosophy of beards is that 99% of men should not have a beard longer than about, you know, clavicle length. Okay, that's a good theory. But, but that you know, it's, it's pretty timeless. And Calvin is in the 1% for anybody he, who is going to throw that he, back at me. <laughs> he, he can pull that off. Yeah, he you know, can pull I'm, it off. I'm still drinking black coffee and praying in my beard, but it's just not happening. It's, it's not happening uh, yet. It's right here. And uh, I get the Joe Dirt thing, but the opposite, yeah. you know, it just grows in. Yeah. I can get a pretty decent mustache going. Let me but... just give you a blessing on that really quick. Let's just pray it in, man. Pray it in. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll name and claim that. That's right. <clears throat> well, we're talking about the school you're starting. I want to hear all about it. The reason I'm talking to you is because you had a listener. I, I asked a question. What do you want to hear? Who do you want to hear from? And they said, Brian Sauvet, I want to hear about starting a school. And in short, I want to set this up. There's a lot of people starting schools in light of everything that's going on in the last couple of years, but also just from a f- philosophical point um, and, and just a principled position of wanting to take ownership of education locally. So there's a lot of people starting schools. And in Illinois, we're seeing a lot of these micro schools where, where pastors mm. are just saying, we're going to start a school in our church. We're not even going to call it a school. We're just going to have the parents of their children, they're going to homeschool part-time. We're going to start uh, a pseudo institution here in our, you know, here in our common area at our church building. And uh, we're seeing those pop up, Hmm. but you're actually starting a school. And I just want to hear why you're doing it, how you're doing it. What's been some of the pitfalls? What's been some of the, I mean, you're in the stages right now. We just talked about of building this thing. So tell us all about it, why you're doing it. And then what the process has been like up to this point. Yeah. Uh, man, that's good. Co- that's good to hear. I'm glad that there are those little schools starting up. I'm one of our big convictions is that we've we've because of the modern view of education and the way the public school system works and just the resource intensivity of it, uh, that a lot of us have sort of adopted models of school that you can't make work unless you have ten to fifteen thousand dollars per student per year. And so we're just, we're convinced you don't need that. I think history shows us you don't need that. Uh, and that this, this task is well within reach for, for, and even a, a smaller church to make happen in, in some way. Really for us, the, the foundation uh, that the, the theological uh, convictional foundation for starting a school starts with something I think we all agree on, which is that children are a blessing, right? Children are a blessing from God. Yeah. And the thing about blessings is that they they come with job descriptions biblically. So you you know you're a man. God gave you life and strength and breath and resources and and all of that is a blessing for all of its 
good and perfect gifts comes down from the father of lights and it comes with this duty uh, to glorify God with what we've been given. We're not our own. We've been bought with a price. Uh, our children are like that. They're a blessing from God. We didn't earn them. Uh, and they come with this responsibility. Answer that question of what task comes with this blessing. One of the, uh, you know, I think you could sum it up with the word discipleship, but I'm convinced that education is a, a subcategory that lives under that broad umbrella of discipleship and, mm -hmm. and that we have unhelpfully separated it out and said, no, 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 no discipleship's over here. Yeah. And, and then there's right. this other bucket with education. Wow. That's good. So that would be like the, the defense of we're going to disciple our kids at home. We're going to empower them to be sent out into the mission field and, you know, the salt and light argument into the public schools or even into the Christian schools, whatever mm -hmm. it may be. If, if the Christian school, there's a lot of school, like we have a school in our area mm -hmm. that is, uh, that says it's a, a Christian school, which means it just has yeah. a Bible class that's offered, yeah. but it's yeah. mainly just kind of like a private school. And so right. that is a disconnect. I've not thought about that before, but it certainly yeah. is where education and discipleship is disconnected. Yeah. And, and even in that, there are models of education that are labeled Christian, whether that, and that can be homeschooling models as well as school models. It's very common in private Christian schools uh, where the way that they think about what education is, they're still starting from a sort of foundational presupposition that mm -hmm. it is some disconnected thing. Right. Yeah. We're, we're, we're basically doing the same thing the public school is doing. And then we're adding this Christian element and it's still, it, it's still disintegrated. Mm. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, for a Christian, our theology tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of not just wisdom, but which is knowing how to skillfully live in light of reality, I think is one way we could put it, mm -hmm. but also knowledge, right? It's, yeah. it's the, the fear of God is the foundation of rightly knowing anything. Mm -hmm. So to us that the implication of that fact with this task of discipling our children is that we need Christian education, whether that's homeschooling, which we homeschool right now, our school's not open till the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, we love homeschooling families in our church. We'll continue to homeschool some of them. Uh, cottage schools where you're hybridizing sort of homeschool with a university model, you know, with mm. some days in school, uh, some specialization, homeschool co-ops, whatever it looks like, or, or full-blown school, we're convinced that that's not an optional uh, yeah, accessory, you know, to discipling our children. But it's, it's actually something that we're... Um, I would say ought to do. Right. That's good. So you're at the point of thinking through, you're already homeschooling your kids. We want to start an institution. We want to start a school. Now, just a, a question that I would have that I'm sure yeah. some listeners would have, why not continue to build a culture, a robust culture of homeschool or yeah. uh, some sort of co-op? Uh, why start the school when most likely that's going to invite the eye of the state? I know in the state of Illinois, you're in Utah, there's differences from Utah to Illinois, certainly. But if we were to start a full-blown school, the eye of the state would quickly go just right to us. It would yeah. invite red tape. It would invite regulations. It would invite uh, a lot of things we wouldn't want to be invited. So what was the yeah. advantage? Because how did you guys come to that conclusion? We want to build this institution. We want to build something that's going to last. We want to build something that's going to help us as we train up our children and educate our children in the you know fear and admonition of the Lord. So how did you get to that point? where you thought this is what we need to do. This is what we need to build. 
Yeah, there are a few sort of threads that came together, and and I do want to make it clear that we're we're pro homeschooling. Mm-hmm. We one of the things that we're actively sort of trying to head off, even in our own local congregation, which isn't large. We're not a huge, you know, we're not hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, is a, a sort of tiered schismatic. Well, we're of the school, and we're okay, of, right? Um, yeah, because yeah. that's that's taught any any division around some you know method when it comes to obeying a principle. So long as we're all fulfilling the task and the principles in a godly faith-filled manner. Amen. Glory to God. Yeah. But some of the the threads that sort of tugged us to um, a school versus maybe homeschool co-op or something like that um, really had to do with culture, long-term, long-haul culture. So we think that it's easier. Well, let me put it this way. I think in a place where you do a lot of homeschooling, uh, and a church is all in on homeschooling, but there's not a school. Um, that culture will be fruitful, and their mm-hmm. children will be educated well. And the culture that will build up from that will be, you know, take a couple acres of you got some farmland, some gardens, some trees over here. There's going to be a lot of fruit and things growing up, and it'll be really good. Um, whereas with a... Um, I'm getting a, my internet connection is unstable. So I yeah. apologize. If I cut yeah. It out. <laughs> cut out there for a little bit, but I think we'll be able to piece that together. You're good. Okay, yeah. going. My bad. It, it, our hundred year old building doesn't have great internet. <laughs> uh, but if you have a culture where a church has built under the supervision of elders with a robust vision for discipling the new humanity, right. For all of Christ, for all of life, and you, you start a school as a part of how you're going to fulfill that task as a church, this household of households, then I think the culture that grows up can be more like a, a, a big redwood tree mm-hmm. where there's a central trunk that grows up. And then there are lots of branches that go out in different ways. And it's mm-hmm. going to throw off shoots that might, you know, to stretch the metaphor, some of our kids might move away get right. caught on a stiff breeze uh-huh. <laughs> and, and go get planted in Illinois or uh-huh. in Ohio or Arizona or somewhere else. Um, but that in that local area, this thing that grows up is like, it has gravity. Mm-hmm. It has, That's good. because we're all sort of under the supervision of the elders and a, a school board that, that is under supervision of elders and probably has elders on it. You're developing uh, not just a theological curriculum, but again, all knowledge is Christian knowledge or it's not properly known. Mm-hmm. So every aspect of the way we're raising our children up to, to think about the world, to think about how to think, how to weigh knowledge claims, how to understand history, philosophy, science, ethics, math, uh, sociology, rhetoric, dialectic, all of these different subjects, they're going to be eating from the same troughs, mm-hmm. right? It, so yeah. it, instead of having... 50 different houses with their own table in a way we're very regularly coming to this big long table and all eating the same food and growing up in the same and i think that that has long-term gravity for the community so in utah to make utah a christian state to reach utah is going to take centuries we're at two percent christian right so we need to not just disciple our kids but we need them to stay Mm -hmm. yeah gotcha so i want them to grow up and say man, I want my kids in the school. 
I know Greek, biblical Greek and Latin and, you know, theology and rhetoric and history because of this school. I want my kids to go there. Yeah. To yeah. Send them there. There are other reasons, but specialization is one. I was just reading last night uh, this. Um, he, he, he's a early reform sort of education stream. His name's Comenius. Okay. And he wrote a book called The Great Didactic. Um and he talked about that, why he was basically developing a model for every hamlet to have a school okay. up through the university model. And he talked about how um, the reason that you've seen schools throughout history in Jewish culture, Greek and Roman culture, the early church, the medieval church, the, even through the Renaissance, schools have been a big part of this because of the power of communal specialization. Mm-hmm. And so that, that, that's another factor that, that comes in with my apologetic for a school at least. Yeah. Well, I love that. And, and as the pressure, the encroaching pressure of just cultural standards continues to get imposed upon state education mm-hmm. and uh, it, in Illinois, there's hardly, you know, maybe there's one exception where there is a small community and the father has died and the mom has six kids and the local church only has, you know, that there's, it's 40 miles away. And uh, the only option is, is public education. And this public school is, you know, the superintendent is a Christian and all the teachers are a Christian. Okay. So there, there's, there's maybe the exception out there, but we have the equality act coming down the line. We have uh, education reform in Illinois, where gender fluidity is going to be taught as early as pre-kindergarten, pre-K. Uh, the yep. goodness of, of things like homosexual sex is going to be taught. And, mm. and these questions, you, you can't disregard these educational questions anymore. They, they're brought to your doorstep and into your home. And so it's, it's not like there's the, the palette of options that you could see 30 years ago, 40 years ago, where, you know, you could make, you know, arguments about about certain educational choices and you kind of nod your head like, okay, that kind of makes sense. It's been so imposed upon us that the options are, okay, homeschool, or we're starting a school. We got it. We have to do something. And I think everyone is feeling that pressure, not in just Illinois, but from state to state. So, so you made this decision. We're going to start the school. We want to build a culture that lasts. We want to, you know, we want to have a tree that grows. And so you get to that point, but then you got to think about, okay, the legality of this, we're going to go through the state. What, what paperwork do we have to do? Do we have to hire a lawyer? Do we have to, what do we have to do to get the the nuts and bolts of this thing going? And then what curriculum? I mean, I, I don't know if you're going to do a one room kind of classroom model, like the Ambleside kind of model where you can, you know, take different students through the same curriculum at different levels. You got to think through all that kind of stuff. So how, how did you guys work through this, the process of just the legality of a school? And then what did you do to think about curriculum and how you're going to build this institution, you know, from the beginning? Yeah, there's, that's going to be different state to state pretty radically. Um, Utah, those questions so far have not been very difficult because we have um, a pretty open legal system in terms of education, at least starting a private school is not particularly difficult provided you're not asking for state funding, which even if they offered it to us on a silver platter, we would say, "Mm, no, thank you. Yeah. No, thanks. And uh, (laughs) I'm sure that you guys are definitely going to require vaccines and proof of vaccine for all students. 
all of the right. whatever new vaccine they come up with we you know we're we're the test our school's the test program the test yeah. program right Absolutely. i saw fauci i saw fauci say that he hopes by the end of 2021 that children uh, down to the age of 6 months will be getting this vaccine for covid unreal what in the world what a you know i've been yeah. dreaming about getting like uh, did you ever get into ufc at all no i didn't okay well Not there was man this- enough did you remember Chuck Liddell, at least the guy with the Mohawk that went? Oh, yeah. Okay. Just dreaming about, you know, 2006 Chuck Liddell versus Anthony Fauci in the ring together <laughs> and just watching it with sheer delight. And yeah. I, I've got issues that I'm praying through, Brian. I'm working through, yeah. but that would be really <laughs> enjoyable. Really enjoyable. Yeah. Our policy is that we, we pick one student every year to blend in a blender and use as, you know, the development. <laughs> For the next vaccine, that's kind of you know what it's, it's our crazy. principles. Okay, so it's, back it's to wild. back to back to the point. You're not going to take stake funding, and even if they yeah. gave it to you on a silver platter, you oh wouldn't. yeah, we're okay. not going to do it. They're, yeah, yeah. So every every state, it's going to be different, and you ha- you just have to be. One of the things that we talk about a lot at our on our leadership level at the church is when Jesus was talking about how the sons of the world were more crafty than the sons of light. Yeah, <laughs> and that shouldn't be. We should be crafty. Amen. So That's there, good. Th- there's a balance where we're saying, what are we going to, how are we going to come in compliance? How are we going to creatively defy tyrannical, you know, nonsense rules that like, for example, mask mandates, if they, mm-hmm. if there were school-wide mask mandates in Utah in, in the fall, for whatever reason, we're not going to do them. And yeah. we would, you know, if not that we would want this, but if the state makes the mistake of stepping into the school, basically what they're doing is they're going to give us a nationwide platform to, um, communicate about the gospel of, mm-hmm. of the kingdom yeah. and uh, who our children belong to and who we will render them unto. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they bear the image of God. You can have your money with the image of Washington on it. Yeah. That kind of good. thing. So I think there has to be a creative, crafty, innocent, but crafty, um, principled, foundation from which you can make these kinds of decisions in your mm-hmm. context. And if that means that you are a homeschool co-op mm-hmm. that yeah. is a school, right. Then by all then means be a homeschool co-op. Be that a is a school co-op. Yeah. Exactly. Our, our school is a ministry of the church. It's, it's not an independent legal organization. Okay. And that's th- good that's to on know. purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in our context, that's, that's, I think, the best thing. And we could pivot on that in a year or two if we discover that, well, it would be of more benefit for us to make, instead of having a DBA doing business as St. Brendan's, but it's really under our legal umbrella. Yeah. We've done that in the past. When I became the lead pastor of the church, um, I sort of inherited a preschool for a minute. Um, okay. And that's how we organized it at that point. That was uh, not really I wasn't excited about it. It, was, gotcha. it wasn't really a Christian preschool. I don't even know if I think preschool is a terrible idea generally. So <laughs> <laughs> there's a reason we're starting in first grade and not kindergarten at St. Brendan's. Okay. That's uh, great. Is it going to be at the church building? Is that what you're going to yeah. use? Yeah. Okay. At the church building. Your question, I'm trying to remember it. It was a good, it was good. Well, okay. You cut, you cut out there. I started to... thinking about vaccines and now I'm distracted. I know I, I distracted you. Oh, with- I was saying, yeah, there was another part of your initial question that it was good. And now I'm trying to remember what it was. Well, dude, there's no way I'm going to remember it now. <laughs> we, we went down that rabbit trail and 
started talking about Chuck Liddell and Anthony Fauci. So <laughs> and the death, the, the, the death cage match. Yeah, that's gone. So if I did kind of go through the mental Rolodex <laughs> here, I might be able to remember, but um, so you're going to have it at the church building. You're going to meet yeah. at the church building or do that at the church building. Uh, didn't Jesus at one point commend cunning and tell us to be as cunning as serpents? I think that yeah. is specifically the word that was used or shrewd. Mm-hmm. The NASB may say shrewd, but yeah. I think the ESV says cunning. Where that's a that's a commended trait of Christians, yeah. where there's a there's a Christ-like, godly way to be as innocent as doves and cunning as cunning as a snake or something like yep. that, as a serpent. That's right. And um, I, I think that that is uh, is something that is going to be required more and more by the people of God, where we we discover that virtue, the virtue of yep. cunning. Um, you, you, why don't you develop develop that that virtue of cunning a little bit more, and then write or do a podcast or something on that? That would be helpful, I think. Um, mm. But uh, Okay, let's um, then think about, okay, you're, you've got the fall. You're going to be starting in the fall. You've hired a headmaster. Yeah. What about teachers? How, how have you gone about, sure. are you hiring teachers up front? Um, are you paying them? As, how are you going to pay them if you're not charging $15,000 a year for a, a student to go there? How re, where's the re, remuneration come from? And then, yeah. uh, you know, how, how's it going? How's enrollment going? I mean, you got what, three months, four, five months until until august yeah, 34 weeks 34 like weeks that. we were counting in weeks i'm i'm off the count at the at the moment okay so yeah. it's coming yeah it's coming that's a good question and the other part was curriculum now we'll oh, yeah, circle curriculum. back that that's was a was. good yeah that's we'll go curriculum first yes. and then we'll get to that okay curriculum because you were asking about like ambleside model mm-hmm. is it so what we're attempting to do is take elements of multiple models that have that already exist out in the wild you Mm -hmm. can look at their fruit and you can see what kind of students they're producing what do they cost that sort of thing so then look at all those models then ask the question what resources do we actually have because you could go and say oh man there's this private school in new england and it charges twenty eight thousand dollars a year and it's the best possible education you could have and that's great cool you can't do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you right. have God-given providential guardrails limiting you to your left and right. So you have to ask, yeah. if we're to do this, and these are the providential limitations that God has given us, how can we de- uh, deliver the best possible thing that we can do in accordance with our principles, with the resources God has sovereignly distributed yeah. to us? And um, that's led us in a couple directions that have implications for the the shape of the school in terms of its administration and practice, as well as curriculum. So we've been influenced by Ambleside and Charlotte Mason. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, educational reformer in England, turn of the century sort of time period. And um, she emphasized living books as a spine of the curriculum. So the mm-hmm. great books, very similar to what you'd hear in a lot of classical um, settings, classical mm-hmm. in the sense of, the classics, classic literature from the tradition of the West, which is the story of the advance of Christendom in many mm-hmm. ways for 2000 years. So Charlotte Mason, in her pedagogy, her her practice of how you actually in the classroom educate a child, she emphasized narration, which we strongly emphasize. And, and that just looks like, for example, say you're looking at six-year-olds and they can't mm-hmm. all read fluently, but the teacher's taking a history of the British Isles, reading a passage of it, and then asking the class, hey, tell me about what you just heard and uh-huh. sort of guiding them through responding out loud and, and later in written form as well 
to what they've read. And that helps them really attain mastery of the information. Yeah, that's good. She also emphasized that children are persons. Children are not cogs in, they're not products on a conveyor belt like modern education treats them mm-hmm. with predetermined educational outcomes that they'll be measured against. They're, they're persons. So narration emphasizes their personhood as well, that they can, you might have a six-year-old boy and a nine-year-old girl hear the same text uh-huh. and, and remember and narrate it totally differently. And, need, and and maybe both of them are correct about what, a lot more there, but we also have been influenced by uh, ACCS, Logos School, Right. Um, they're there's some differences there. Uh, they, they sort of emphasize the classical trivium of grammar, uh, logic, and rhetoric as, in a way, Dorothy Sayers mm-hmm. sort of outline them as stages of development. Um, we don't go there. We actually think that historically they're more subjects. Arts and disciplines would be the historical term. And even in Logos and Idaho, there there's a lot of nuance to how they treat them. But so we don't talk in terms of the grammar stage, the logic stage, the rhetoric stage. Okay, we've been influenced by them, by Doug Wilson, by uh, the the Logos curriculum a lot. Some of the stuff yeah. that they've put out. We've been influenced by Susan Bauer's uh, history cycle. Okay, so our whole school will be on a rotating four year cycle where they look at um, you know four different periods of history from ancient through modern. One year will be devoted to each period, and then they move to the next. So okay. you know, the six-year-olds are learning ancient history, and so are the twelve-year-olds. They're just learning at different levels. Different levels, yep. and then they'll if they go from grades one through twelve in the school, they will have gone through the whole cycle of history, ancient to modern, three times on three levels. Um, so that's a big influence as well. There are more influences than that. Mm-hmm. But what we wanted to do was take that curricular spine, uh-huh. which emphasizes living books as the primary teachers, right? teachers in the classroom as guides to narration and drawing out. And some subjects, that's not the case. Like math, you know, it's linear. You have to go through languages are a little different. Mm-hmm. Maybe we can talk about our approach to language in a minute. That's actually fun too. Okay. But they... Uh, <laughs> So when you adopt that model, one thing that you realize is that when you have a smaller student body, like we're expecting, probably 30 students or under first year, then you don't need 12 teachers, 12 grades. You can have um, six, eight, or you know, seven, eight, and nine-year-olds in one classroom, all hearing the same history, yep. literature, Bible, and narrating it with one teacher. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to discontinuity subjects like math or foreign languages that need to build, you can split them into three groups, you know, three mm-hmm. math groups. Right. And the teacher can go and help them. But you don't need $15,000 a student. Yeah, and you don't need uh, one teacher per grade necessarily. Mm-hmm. So so our yeah, school good. is divided in, in a little differently than a classic public school or yeah. modern school. Okay, so with specific disciplines like the languages, yeah. you may have somebody that's really good at handling a wide range of students and can handle a one one room classroom and teach in different tiers and exactly what you're saying, opening up a living book and speaking with passion and and loving that students receiving it in a really well way, really good way. But then you've got to have people trained in those specific disciplines like the languages. Yeah. So so let, let's talk about that for a little bit. And then 
after that, so let's uh, make that kind of a concise response. And then let's uh, gush on Joe Boot a little bit together and yeah. talk about his book, Mission of God. And so I'll throw you a curveball. Yeah. I didn't, didn't even tell you we're going to talk about that. But That's great. Oh, we'll talk I'm about ready. that. Okay, there we go. So yeah. let's talk about that because that then you've got this one, one you know, teacher teaching this room, but these specific disciplines that have to be taught to students. So, so how do you accomplish that? Yeah, really broadly, we divide all subjects into continuity or discontinuity subjects. Continuity can be learned across an age range, history, literature, that sort of thing. Discontinuity has discrete steps that you have to go in. And within the years, it is helpful to break them down. Math is a really good example. Foreign language is a really good example of that. Mm -hmm. um, so what we do is with smaller class sizes, we and also parental involvement, okay. say during math hour, you have some curriculum that helps. Again, the books are the guide. So especially as you get above 10, 11, where they're really fluent readers, uh -huh. they can go through really high quality curriculums that have been developed in those and been used in homeschool environments for decades. Mm -hmm. And the teacher can come along and say, are you struggling with any concepts? We have a math tutor, say some dads in the church who are engineers who can help you if you have particular difficulty with a concept. Um, and I think what you, you end up realizing is that what homeschoolers have been doing for 40 years, which is exactly what we're talking about with one mom uh -huh. and sometimes 10 kids, you know, right. <laughs> going through all the whole curriculum on different self-learning that is then overseen by a tutor, tutor model, rather than a lecture model where the, there's a whiteboard and, you know, the professor's teaching math step-by-step uh -huh. step to one yeah. class at a time. And it's totally doable. We've been doing this for not just home. We've been doing this for centuries, centuries in the streams of education that we would pipe into. Yeah. Yeah. So, so really the newer model is what we've been doing at a state level with government schools and a, a teacher for each classroom or within specific disciplines, a specific teacher with that mm. particular group. It's always been kind of a Renaissance model where somebody has the, the broad knowledge and they're bringing that broad knowledge down in a way that particular students can learn. And uh, um, yeah, interesting stuff, man, really helpful. Okay, so tell me uh, tell me then if, if people wanna know more information before we switch gears and go to Joe Boot, if people want uh, more information about the school or just to contact you if, if they have any questions or anything like that, can, I mean, do you have a website for the school? I know you got the church website and people can follow you probably online or find information, but where, where do they need to go to find info about the school and what you, what you guys are doing? Yeah, so we have a website for the school, a dedicated website. Uh, it's stbrendons.academy. So S-A-I-N-T-B-R-E-N-D-A-N-S dot Academy. And that has contact information in the footer. You can reach out to us. That'll come to me, our headmaster, Kevin Love. Um, and uh, it doesn't go to our other teachers at this point, but it'll come to the, to the board of the school and we can respond there. We have a lot of information. I put up a two-hour information meeting video there with Q&A from our church. Uh, a sermon that I preached on the doctor, the doctrinal pilings underneath this vision a couple of weeks ago. Phenomenal. And there will be a podcast coming out in the next month or two that starts to work through each sort of component of education in our philosophy of education. Phenomenal. There. So pa pastors listening in, you've got to think through this and you got to shepherd your people through their educational choices with their children and connect those dots that education isn't a disconnected, going back to an earlier point that you made, it's not disconnected from discipleship. It's a huge, huge aspect of it. Um, so be thinking through this, be praying through this. And then if you got any questions, you know, reach out to Brian and, 
And, uh, you know, it may be that you need to start a school out of your church as well. And you, you got to do something because, again, we, we can only disregard statism and state nonsense for so long until it's into our homes and it's into our schools and until even private schools are under the, you know, in Illinois anyways, they're under the, the mighty hand of the state as well. And so there's got to be a pushback. Um, and, you know, it's not too late. Fight now um, and, uh, and train your people to do that. Okay, let's uh, switch gears a little bit. I have been reading The Mission of God. I'm almost done by Dr. Joe Boot. And I think maybe a year ago, I saw from you, you said, hey, if I've said anything, or most of the people I'm in, something about learning from Joe Boot. And I just made yeah. a mental note and thought, okay, I need to, I found the Ezra Institute. And then I got this book and I'd been wanting to read it. It had been sitting there for a while and I got into it. Dude, this is a masterpiece. It is. I mean, it is remarkable. And I like, okay, it's a little bit thicker, but one of the things that I was so just blown away by is his work on the reconstructionists, the Christian reconstructionists, and specifically talking about Rush Dooney and connecting mm -hmm. what people are, you know, called the, the theonomist with the Puritans and, yeah. and seeing the dots connect to, you know, the mantra that Doug Wilson and they use out there in, in Moscow, Idaho is all of Christ for all of life, but seeing mm -hmm. that the Christian worldview stuff that's blown up from the seventies and the reconstructionist guys and the Tyler, Texas crew. And, um, from that whole Vantillion line from, you know, from Kuiper, Van Til, Bonson, uh, John frame, Rush Dooney, that, that whole group, Gary North, uh, Gary DeMar, all those folks. What Joe boot argues is guys, this is Puritanism. Yeah. And we've had a tragic neglect in understanding the law of God, the goodness of the law of God, tragic neglect of the second and third use of the law of God. And I just want to hear some of the things that you gleaned from that book. And then let's, let's just make a hard sell for people, for guys, because this is a really, like a really important book. And yeah. I wish every single one of my listeners would go out, buy it. If it takes you a year to work through it, yeah. get it and work through it for a year. But what was some of the things that you loved about that book and why should guys listen or why should guys get it and read it? Yeah. On a, on a, on a foundational level, I think what makes that book so great is that it presses into the exact areas of evangelical theology where we've had theological failures that have led to orthopraxical failures or failures of practice. And then over decades, cultural ills. I mean, mm -hmm. within the church, cultural decline that we then export out, yeah. right? The pulpit is the prow of the ship. Yeah. Um, and he addresses that core neglect, which really is just a, a, a narrowing of the Christian life down to a few areas of doctrine, like the inerrancy of scripture and salvation by grace alone through faith alone, narrowing all of like what matters down to this small little circle, mm -hmm. rather than asking like the Puritans did, they were theological and cultural maximalists. Yeah. They said, how does the, how should the Bible, how would it govern my vocation, my office of father, husband, you know, wives, mothers, citizen, uh, if I'm a, in the, the magistrate, if I'm, I mean, everything, they mm -hmm. ask that question. Evangelicalism has not been asking that. They've actually been studiously and principally avoiding yeah, that have. question. They hate application, right? Or, or at least neglect application. Yeah. So the whole book is really, in my opinion, an exercise in theological and cultural maximalism and just tracing how that worked. Back. I mean, speaking of education, what, what we're talking about today about the school, mm -hmm. New, Puritan New England, 1600s. This was yeah. 
what come again Comenius. he was one of the first he was a protestant he was one of the first people to advocate for universal education of boys and girls across all classes hmm. very protestant ended up being a very puritan idea and um, culturally we had that idea colonized and stolen from us by dominionist secular humanists wow <laughs> you know because we we've neglected application we've ridden the coattails of 10 generations of Christianity and we're riding them off a cliff right now because mm -hmm. we don't like applying the Bible. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because as you're, you're thinking about the neglect of application, I think about the seeker sensitive model or even uh, attractional, you know, people who didn't like the word seeker sensitive just said, okay, well, we're attractional church, same yeah. thing, just different words. Yeah. Um, their big goal was let's get practical application, practically apply this to your life. But here's the thing. It was lacking theological foundation, yeah. so lacking gospel motivation, but also it was practical application in one small category of your life, like or mm -hmm. very small categories of your life. It did not train people. As I'm going through Joe Boots, I'm thinking this as well, and I'm thinking about the sufficiency of Scripture. I'm thinking about that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, yeah. and much application is just in you know certain spheres, but it has no handles on it gives you no handles on how all of the scriptures speak to all of your life and yeah. it, it tragically neglects helping christians see that to the point that you see different commands or you see you know how we are to conduct ourselves or how john the baptist conducted himself in front of herod and we actually come to weird conclusions like john the baptist should not have called him out or it was weird <laughs> that john the baptist called him out for violating you know god's law because yeah. you think, well, no, you have either two kingdom theology or the scriptures are authoritative for Christians only, but for mm -hmm. non-Christians, the, the scriptures aren't good, binding or authoritative. And so, man, I tell you, that book is really, really helpful in connecting some of those dots. I just absolutely loved it. Yeah. It's dynamite. It's a, it's a punch to the gut of the myth of neutrality you know, in a million different directions, which is, is exactly what's needed. It is exactly what's needed. And I can't tell you how many people with the school arguments, just there, there's so many areas that we think it's just neutral. And you peel back one or two layers real quick and you get to the bottom of the presuppositions behind anything that they're doing. And you realize, oh my gosh, this is pretty dark. This is not oh, neutral at all, no matter what it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. discipleship in a in a cultist. It's a it's just it's again, it's Henry Van Til, it's religion externalized. That's mm. education is indoctrination in some religious ideology. Because if it's trying to teach truth, goodness, beauty, reality, knowledge, ethics, world, any of these things, they are either moored to, well, they they're inevitably moored to some sort of ultimate religious philosophical grounding. You can't escape that. No. And and more and more, what we've failed to realize is that, oh, no, the God in the middle of this whole state right now is a different God from the Christian God. Mm -hmm. And, oh, man, yeah. the most successful evangelist disciples and missionaries in the 21st century so far have been missionaries from secular humanism, not yep. Christian missionaries. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, missionaries, uh, proselytes, proselytizing catechesis baptism yeah it's the secularists are so good at that they love that we keep with the love that we keep sending our kids to them oh yeah i mean just love it yeah please keep coming please keep acting like your salt and light yeah. um and we'll keep taking your kids from you
and oh, man. it's it's tragic and um yeah i just looked at a statistic this week it actually came from this book where seven out of ten uh children who grew up going to church regularly by the time they're 23 they're not attending church anymore i mean seven out of ten and yeah. i mean reasons they're number one they're not converted they were ne- never actually right. converted yeah. but i mean catechesis is inevitable across the board and discipleship i mean evangelism it's inevitable yeah. So it needs to be us that takes control of that. Um, but uh, all right, man, this has been fun. We've, we've yeah. got a lot of, lot of stuff. We're about 40 minutes in, something like that. You got any final words for us? Uh, anything at all to throw out there, even if it's random? Well, thanks for, thanks for letting me continue to come and talk. This, every time we talk, I feel like it's been 10 minutes and then I know there's so many more things we need to talk about. And then it's like, Nope, time to go. Nobody's going to listen to a three hour podcast. So I know. Well, no, that's the thing. You know, we we had talked about Joe Rogan before. So for some reason, Joe Rogan will get guys to listen and, and, you know, consume their life three hours of three hours a day of content. But uh, here's what I would leave. I think here's what I would leave. It's because a lot of pastors listen to the shepherd's crook. I think I would just tell them you can do it. Hmm. You can and I'm not saying you, everybody has to start a school, but you can make meaningful shepherding movement of your flock from barren, weed-filled, wolf-filled pastures of mm-hmm. the public school environment and also bad Christian education. In a year or two, it's amazing what strides you, you can take with the Lord's help. So just take the risk. Be yeah. willing to experience loss, and uh, I think you'll see the Lord bless your flock through that. That's awesome. Heck yeah, man. Guys, take that advice, press on, try it out, see what the Lord does. And um, there's always got to be somebody that's taking the hill, even if you get beat up and bloody as you run up it, you know, but uh, man, I appreciate it. Thanks so much, guys. We've been talking to Brian Sauvé. Brian, appreciate it. Thanks, brother.